Hello, welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Hello. Uh, it's been a while. We have been on hiatus. We have been traveling loads. We've been working, but we've also been documenting. And there's been a lot um, that's been going on in this industry. And certainly over the last couple of weeks, um, some issues have kicked off. And we are here to... Uh, to discuss some of those issues, or at least one of those issues. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is a common theme that has um, been very prevalent throughout the past couple of seasons, and I think kicking off season three was something that we've been talking about that still remains a challenge, is definitely worth um, diving into, I think. Exactly, and that's the subject of inclusivity. And I should start by saying that um, some of the conversations that we've been having in recent months, or at least over the last couple months, has been because uh, I was working on, a, on an op-ed for Business of Fashion, actually. Business of Fashion had reached out to me, and they were working on their, on their fall um, printed publication, and the subject of that was inclusivity. So they, they're covering all areas of it. I have yet to see the physical copy, but it is currently out. And <laughs> coincidentally, that publication is also going to be part of the backdrop of this conversation. And so the, 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 the subject of inclusivity for, for business of fashion, I was obviously, as you said, we discussed this issue. We've discussed this issue heavily in this forum and it's something that's very near and dear to us. You're, um, you're working on the front lines of, um, of a company that is essentially sitting on a, on a foundation of inclusivity um, where they are making clothing from size zero to size 44. Is yep. that is correct? Universal so, standard, for so sure. Universal standard. So you are, you are deep in, and from the editorial perspective um, and a cultural perspective, I obviously have also been deep in um, for them to ask me to write this article. And it was such a... Oh my God, I was so fired up, I got to tell you. <laughs> I was so fired up to write this piece because... But to be fair, were you like, are we really, am I really, do you want me to really write about inclusivity or are we, are we, is there a branded component to this? Like, oh yeah. Well, was it yeah. real talk? Did oh, they yeah. approach you for the real talk? Well, um, yes. And of course, you know, I, I have a reputation as someone who, you know, <laughs> has the real talk. Tells the truth. And, um, and yes, they came to me for that. And I got a sense that the publication, there was a sense of imbalance in terms of the coverage. Funnily enough, I, um, in hindsight, I, I felt maybe that there was a lot of congratulatory coverage, let's say, and maybe um, there was a need for some teeth in, 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 a, in an op-ed or in different op-eds or whatever the case may be. In any case, they came to me and I, I dived headfirst into writing this op-ed. And it was, you know, for me, I have such, I enjoyed writing it very much because, you know, I think about this all the time. And I, as you know, we've been so fired up about this issue because everywhere you turn, it seems like, yes, the subject is being discussed and you see visuals that seems to support that messaging However, when you really just scratch the surface just slightly, you see so much that's disingenuous. You see so much that's false. And we have spoken about that in this forum and off and um, outside of it. And uh, that has been a huge problem for us, like a huge one. And we have even made um, subjects like a Naomi Campbell that still rubs me the wrong way, that this woman is a spokesperson for this cause and she has just such a bad um, history and a rep bad reputation when it comes to inclusivity, but that's, a, that's, another, that's another broadcast. So we've really been speaking about it here. 
But cut to the, the, the issue from BOF being about inclusivity and they subsequently became the story in the in the midst. Ironically, of all this. while celebrating while inclusivity, celebrating inclusivity and the inclusive issue. Okay, well, you know what? Let me let you sort of steer this a bit because I feel maybe I'm a little close to at least one segment of the story. So, well, I, having written an op-ed and having have a relationship with the BOF like that, um, maybe I would like for you to steer it a little bit and you know, sort of like uh, touch on those issues that uh, that got your attention. And we, I, have to, we, have to, we have to give some information. There's some information that's missing here, i.e. Kirby and so on and so forth. So let's make sure that we fill in some of those yes. details. So Kirby um, of PMOS uh, wrote an op-ed uh, basically out in BOF and doing some very strong truth-telling about his experiences with BOF and specifically with Imran, the founder and editor-in-chief of BOF, talking about everything from essentially kind of exploitation through to cultural appropriation and a number of issues with the inclusive issue that they've just come out with and how that all came to be. Yes. And I mean, I read it. It was it was triggering, but it was also very important. I wasn't surprised. I think what was interesting was everyone was kind of like, oh, clutch my pearls. And I was literally like, oh, I, I read BOF. It is very branded their affiliation with investment from LVMH and Financial Times now is very clear um, in how they cover important issues like inclusivity. So I personally wasn't really too surprised. I'd heard, you know, from other sources about how BOF operate, how Imran operates. So I wasn't too surprised by it. I was more surprised, I think, by everyone else's surprise. But I was really interested by how he really went there. Kobe really went there. Um, and I, I I, sympathized with him because I feel like we kind of, uh, microaggressions, that, that term is so overused, but it is that analogy of the million paper cuts that just pushes you up to a point where yeah. it is kind of like, fuck BOF and fuck Imran. And everyone's like, oh, why did he do that? And it's like, sometimes you are pushed to those points when you're constantly undervalued and minimized and it is that kind of analogy of a million paper cuts that takes you to that point that then you know reinforces the trope of like the angry black person so I felt that was a little bit of a shame and that was definitely missed in a lot of the coverage but um, I definitely wasn't surprised it remains to be seen what's going to happen I mean I thought Imran's response was a little weak and quite problematic and then the op-ed that sort of followed that, somewhat holding BOF accountable, but not really saying anything or doing anything. It's like you write, what are the actionable steps and changes that we could make? I feel like this conversation is so overly talked about, but no one's actually doing the work to make the changes. So again, it's like I can imagine being at that gala, it's like everyone's congratulating themselves for what? Having the discussion, is that enough? Um, well... <laughs> I think that's I think that's the heart of the issue um, that these displays that we see are they genuine and are they really ultimately for the cause? I got to take it a little bit. I, let me take like it. actually just to say one of my favorite things about your op-ed that actually it was one of those things that it felt very familiar or a memory or something. You know, it really touched you was when you was talking about you was like many. I'm paraphrasing, but you was like many a black faces on the catwalk. <laughs> But you go internally for these meetings and you literally do not see yourself. Like it, it's, that is so true and so, so known, but yet nothing is being done to 
change that. So it's just it's just really interesting. Like I, I yeah. well, I'm gonna I'm sort of I'm gonna follow my personal timeline on this, and I'm gonna take it back to my op-ed, and I'll read the intro. I'll read the intro to 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 the op-ed. And in the current culture of accountability, where activism is shaping the zeitgeist, the fashion industry has staged an extraordinary consumer-facing performance checking the boxes of race, body, gender, and other forms of inclusivity in an industry that's hardwired to embrace the new only to quickly move on to the next trend months later, is fashion's current interest in inclusivity simply a fad? And, you know, my essay essentially in many ways supported, supported this, 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 this thesis or the question that is this a fad that is in fact a fad. You know, I call out the Gucci's and the, the Valentino's and the, the, the Chanel's and these kind of brands of the world and the Prada's, of course, um, regarding their recent transgressions and their, you know, bringing out. I have to mention this while we're having this conversation. Everything that I'm seeing from Prada in the last several months only include models of color. For example, why hasn't someone done this story as Muchia Prada directly? Why did she not see models of color almost for sustained 15 to 20 years? But I'm just going to leave that out there. Can't you ask anyone that? You can well, ask no, no, Anna no. Winter that. You can ask any well, of no, these gatekeepers. No, I want to stay on, no, stay on Muchia Prada because her particular influence, her influence and influence of her brand over the last 20 years, arguably it has been unmatched. So particular her, she has been the the trendsetter, let's say, in terms of models, in terms of, of mise-en-scene and all those sort of things. She has a particularly esteemed position in that in that realm. Again, Muchia Prada, why did you not use black models for a whopping 15 solid years? I want an answer to that question. And why then are you using them in such copious amounts now? But, okay, I'm going to leave that there. Well, let's not derail the conversation, but I want to I want to put that out. But there. I I would like to follow on from that because don't you think that that is part of the problem? Like I was actually thinking about this. I think that we tend to extract certain personalities, brands, people, gatekeepers to ask them those types of questions. That behavior isn't unique to Mutra. It's like what I was saying to, about to the Naomi argument of like sometimes you're a product of your environment, but that attitude wasn't unique to her. And I think. The, the challenge with that level of like blame or like holding people accountable is it's not really solving the problem. Like, okay, if Mutual was going to be the one, what what's the larger change? What's the larger conversation? And I feel like we are so focused on looking to the left when like a lot of the, you know, challenges are sprinkled across and like over here on the right. And so in an industry that's so interconnected and buoyed up by money and very powerful people that we do not see and we do not know, what is the use in calling out certain specific people oh, like no, an Anna no, Winter no, no, no. or okay, Mutual no. not... when the issue is so much bigger and, and so much more insidious I disagree. than that. No, 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 Henrietta. I, I absolutely disagree with you there. Because, for example, if you don't call out those offenders, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving ahead a little bit um, here, it's for the same reason that Imran called out a Piccoli at that gala as an advocate and an agent of, of, of inclusivity and diversity. That's when the storyline gets so marred along the way and forgotten along the way of what happened in the past that it at 
present, you're you're lauding and crediting the wrong people for the progress. So that's one of the reasons why we don't want to do so. And in this age, with the short memory of this industry, yeah. Amuchia Prada is the one that's going to be given the gold thimble for her work towards diversity. I will not accept that because that is inaccurate and it's false. And she is probably one of the most racist uh, um, um, person in this business considering her history. Look, I'm not disagreeing with okay. you. Pia Paolo being on that cover, fewer people were annoyed, more annoyed than I was. <laughs> My only point is, and to your point, Mutra Prada didn't see blackness on the catwalk as, as something that was important. She now has changed her tune due to cultural shifts and pressures. And what? We're still in the same place. It's still a cosmetic well, shift. And hence so, this conversation. <laughs> so my point being that whether you do or you don't, these are still cosmetic shifts. I think the larger conversation is more about what are the hiring practices? What about intention? What about money? Everyone's following the money. Everyone's trying to get paid. So no one's really incentivized to do the real work and make the real change. You really need to be an, a true independent to actually be able to tell the truth in this industry because no one, like, look at the most... Do you have to be a true independent or you have to just be true and Mm -mm. honest? You have to be true. Do you have to just be true and honest? You have to be a true independent because everyone that we are calling out or calling upon is affiliated to a bigger power or a bigger institution that is attached to money, right? Not everyone. Lucia Prada is not. Right, but she is at the helm of a billion-dollar business. If you look at uh, Anna Winter, she's at the helm of Condé Nast, which is like in a in a struggling or partially struggling industry. If you look at Eva Chen, she is attached to multi-billion-dollar tech company Instagram. People cannot tell the truth. The way, you know, in influencers they are beholden to the brands that pay them money for their sponsored posts. But it's when we hear so statements when like that you people think cannot about tell things, the truth. Of course, they can tell the truth. You can always tell the truth. You can always tell the truth. That's the thing. But when telling we, the truth, I think, has consequences in this day and age, given who those gatekeepers are and the way that we're looking at this economically. Can I say Sean King for a moment? Can I please say Sean King for a moment? And yeah. maybe that speaks to your independence. But that he's you're outside of about. this industry. To your point about the Prada Council, Ava DuVernay, these people are outside of no, the industry. I'm, no, I'm speaking about him in respect to the political realm or in okay. respect to the larger cultural realm, not, not, not fashion. But in terms of like someone like that who's able to cut through with a voice that is heard far and wide and who's able to really impact change and bring attention to key issues by being brazen. There, I, there's nothing wrong with being brazen. There's nothing wrong with being raw. There's nothing wrong with being the truth, with speaking the truth. And in fact, in this woke era, isn't that what we're calling for? We're calling for real truth, like truth, truth. And I think the case with the BOF issue is that a lot of people with Kirby and his essay and with his calling out of Imran and the publication, I think what people are are responding to is, you know, that performance. You know, I think people, a lot of people see Imran out there taking, you know, going, having photo ops with like said celebrities and doing, you know, in many ways doing those things that were done um, for decades prior to his rise with myriad other personalities in this industry. In many ways, he has taken up the same script as, as the Anna Wintars and all those people by, you know, courting the, the bold-faced names and, and getting as close to the stars as possible for those photo ops. It, I think that sort of shallowness is what has, you know, sort of startled people. And especially that some people have seen him as a brown, 
brother ally. And in many ways that this brown brother ally has gone the way of all the right. white players but those that tactics, has come but those you know, ta- before Exactly, him. but those tactics that you describe is largely what the industry is predicated on. Fashion is predicated on building those types of cliques and relationships. Was, was. was. Fashion is evolving with the same people pretty much at the helm. <laughs> well, so, to your point, that's a, so, that's a great point. So the industry is evolving, <laughs> the audience is evolving, and then and then the, the Mutra Pradas, the Anna Winters, the Imrans are... <laughs> it looks performative, it may or may not be, but they are quote-unquote evolving. That's why I'm saying, is it really about an actual change of guard? Because it always looks performative when you weren't doing something before and you're doing it now. Like, ultimately, when you see the new shifts, if you look at, um, you know, brands that have new designers or publications that have new editors, look at Teen Vogue. It is authentic now because Elaine Welteroff and Lindsay Peoples-Wagner are that. They were that before Teen Vogue. They are that during Teen Vogue. They will be that after Teen Vogue. It seems like an authentic shift in a way that like Anna Winter and Mutra Prada definitely didn't see blackness and now they're like, <laughs> I'm on it. So it doesn't feel like an authentic shift. But also, can you really be indoctrinated in that way? Like, can you really be about it if you never if it, if that's not like inherent to your cause like well that's a, that's a great point and being part of the problem like it's very complicated that's a great point but then don't do the performance bit and i think you know back to bof and back to this you know this backdrop this gala backdrop that really set kirby off or the final straw that really broke the camel's back in his case where um he, you know there was a, a a choir and when i saw that when i saw that image i i i texted someone that i know at bof i was like why is there a choir at at this party because to clarify he means a, a, a black choir well actually it was a multiracial choir but let's be honest any choir with like a, a gospel <laughs> a gospel element you attribute it to black culture and and to boot imran was also performing somehow with this choir on stage but he, again it's it's tone deaf because i think that there's something very specific and culturally sacred about black church yes which when Kirby puts it in his shows, for instance, there's a narrative and a story of that course. amplifies yes. what you're seeing on the catwalk. Like the black contribution to culture, it's, for example. It's a very, very, very big topic that yes. very few people outside of the culture understand. So I think when you just, as a performative angle, wouldn't it be fun to, to have, have all these a, people walk up in these gowns I, while being <laughs> celebrated by this like joyful choir? It's like, but to I me, get why you would no. not... No. Think it's a problem, but it's a problem, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying about. No, no, no. I don't get why you would think it would, it, it would not be a problem. No, I, I said that. I could see how he could think that might not be a problem, but it is a problem, and that's what I'm saying about. Can you be? Can you do the shift right if that's not inherent to you? So the the Annas, the Mutures, the Imrans. Like if you don't have the context, if you don't have the people around you to educate you, like if you weren't doing it and now you're doing it, that's how those gaffes happen because you don't think that there are problems where problems might actually lie. Well, it's funny, you know, it's funny back to my back to my op-ed for business of fashion and uh, you know, essentially what I called out was that the reasons why these gaff happens and will continue to be happened is because the the rank and file of the of fashion businesses are not populated are not are not diverse and so they're not, they're not populated with people who would speak against a certain a certain gesture like this or a certain choice like this and BOF has very much the same problem i don't know a prominent journalist a black journalist at BOF which is 
very strange considering that the editorial director is of Indian descent and so is the, the so is Imran who's the the CEO and the editor in chief that's shocking to but me but what's quite interesting is that the com- sometimes you have conversations or maybe it's just me that in 2019 you're like whoa given that being woke is such a prevalent mindset particularly yes. in a progressive industry like fashion I, w- I had a conversation recently with a business owner that was like, oh, can you even say that? I'm not joking, but we had this exact conversation about how inclusivity can't just be public-facing, can't just be in the ads and the editorials and the catwalks. It has to be you know, in the C-suites and it has to be a HR issue and a business issue and not just a marketing issue. So we were talking about diverse hiring and it wasn't just a black-white story. It was you know, different abilities, um, different genders, sexual orientation, the whole bit. I kid you not, and she said, I do feel, just from personal experience and, how, and, the, and the candidates that come to me, that the industry largely is structured and looks the way it does because those are the people who are available for the work. <laughs> and no, but this is what I'm saying about, about context and it being so complicated because she wasn't, it wasn't said with malice. She wasn't trying to, she obviously knew who she was speaking to. She wasn't trying to be rude. She genuinely was telling her truth of how she saw the situation. But the ignorance is without, inexcusable. Without thinking about the larger context. And so on one hand, I was like, I'm so mad. And then on the other hand, I was like, at what? Your lack of, like, it's just one of those things where, and I was almost like, you just shouldn't be in the industry if you don't understand. Like, it was, it was a very complex two-minute situation where I had about a thousand <laughs> thoughts. But we are still having those conversations. People are still saying that at the end of 2019 in this industry. And if these are the people that are running businesses and hiring people and just saying, I mean, all the candidates just happen to be thin white women or white men, if that is the attitude to your point in your article about if we're so hell-bent on change, why isn't this a mandatory, not even affirmative action, but if you are hell-bent to make conversion happen or hell-bent to make social media following increase or hell-bent to make any level of business and economic decisions, then why, why aren't we hell-bent on these what essentially are business and HR issues? It's not like there's no money to be made. <laughs> it's go. not like there's like PR crises that can't be prevented from having more diverse At voices. At all. I, there's no downside. It just requires work. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, where is the work? Where are the actionable points? We can't just keep having the same conversations, We're not the, work. the same panels, <laughs> the same galas. Absolutely. Like, why isn't Imran sitting there actually trying to put together a cat? Where's the CFDA? What, where's the HR infrastructure? actionable points about hiring practices to make the industry more diverse beyond the catwalk and i have to say it's it's to that it's to that point that that point is the most um is the most important to me Uh, i think it's really it's facile to outline an action plan for for hiring and for diversifying like it it just takes a bit of time and you do that and you take the time to find the candidates and to diversify your ranks i don't i don't really see it as and more you, complicated than that you have to diversify and not just tick boxes because honestly from personal experience of being in this industry for 14 years and often more often than not in fact you, usually being the only black person in a company or a department, it's hard to be the only one when it's incumbent on you to 
be responsible, right, for the culture, but you are the only We're one. The only so one. it's essentially, it's a lot of pressure and it's a, it's a lot to, to constantly have to try to talk about these issues. And because there's also those old tropes of like, well, you know, she's difficult to work with and like she's angry and like all of these things that again become part of this cultural bias where it's like some people just literally are like, I don't want to be that girl. Yeah, I don't I, want to be that guy. And so it's not enough to just hire one or two people. We have to look at it as a holistic infrastructure challenge that needs to be solved and not just something that needs to, well, I've got one black person like that. My dentist is black. It's literally the same thing. So I just think we really need to look at this as an important and holistic and, problem. And I think for a for an entity and an enterprise like Business of Fashion, I think that they have a greater charge to cultivate a community. That's the... That's a the, community. A it's community. not enough for Imran to say, I'm brown. Exactly. And by the way, by the way, Bethann Hardison does not speak for this community any longer. Naomi Campbell does not speak for this community. Imran and Business of Fashion, you guys now have the might, you have the power. You can cultivate. There are people out there who are working for this cause. They're working tirelessly for this cause. They are genuine about their work for this cause. And you can cultivate your community of the real people, the people who are actually doing the work and want to do the work and want to impact the change and want to be accountable. Like, that is there and you can cultivate that. You're an an entity that should do that. And I think that's what people are, I think some people are really looking for that kind of guidance from an objective entity like this publication BOF are not objective they're not they're just not Um, I mean the BBC are objective because they don't take private money private money they don't take sponsorship sorry in a way that BOF affiliation with the Financial Times and LVMH I can I don't expect them to be unbiased in that respect but the one the one to circle back the one thing I do disagree with you on is when you say things like Naomi Campbell doesn't speak for our community. Bethann Hardison doesn't speak for our community. I think that attitude, again, of singling people out, I think there should be many voices. I think the challenge is... They genuine can't, voices. They, no, not even. I think there's... <laughs> not one, even genuine? I think that... <laughs> Isn't that what we're no, talking about? It here? is, it is. But that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm saying my problem with these figureheads, whether it's Dapper Dan, Naomi Campbell, Bethann Hardison, is... They shouldn't be relied upon to be the only voices. Fine, fine. They're part fine. of a. Okay. It, it's about developing. That's okay. what I'm saying. It's about developing a holistic community and, you know, strategies and infrastructure. It can't just be Naomi Campbell was on this panel, so we're done. It no, has no, to no, be about more people. It has to be about community. To your point about BOF cultivating this community. Again, it's not enough for Imran to be like, "Well, I'm brown, so we're done." He has to cultivate a more diverse community to have a more unbiased or a more objective point of view. And just even more personal accounts. It's just not enough to go to three or four people in the industry because that's when it feels like a trend because fashion inherently is always the same, you know, at any given era, the same five to ten models, the same five to ten editors, same five to ten influencers, and now the same five to ten figureheads who speak on I don't know whether it's gender issues, race issues, and that is where it's dangerous because that is where we actually need diverse voices and a community uh, that keeps growing rather than, um, again, the same five people. 
Because eventually, when you follow the money, I mean, these people are being paid by brands, they all have affiliations, so then after a while, it just becomes... Performance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it really does. And I think that is a challenge, but it's not something that I would say they shouldn't or couldn't speak for us. I just think, again, like, even when you talk about blackness or or the LBGTQ plus community, that's so diverse and even within those subcultures of what that looks like. Like, there's not one type of black. Like, Naomi Campbell is one black person. Bethan, Depardent, they're one black person. Blackness looks like many different things. And I Absolutely. think that's one thing but, that our industry forgets but about. To, but to be perfectly the, honest, those... The spectrum those... within... Every community. But to be perfectly honest, those three personalities that you just mentioned there, those are the personalities that are complicit with brands. Those are the personalities that will sell their souls because they are they're beholden to brands. So that's in many ways in, in many ways, that's exactly the same thing that I'm speaking about. Is like when you have when you are um, when you're emboldened to or not emboldened, but when you're when you're committed to a brand for whatever reason, you're in bed with them for whatever reason, you're following the money and ultimately that's gonna pollute the, the the work for the cause. And I, I, I think that's what we've seen. And I, I, I here's the thing. I think, you know, a lot of those kind of figureheads, they are okay with, you know, that runway profile. They're okay with the slew of black models that are coming down uh, the runway. And I have no problem with seeing those models. But again, that is a, uh, a diversion tactic. That is a distraction. And the reason why we're having this conversation is because ourselves and some other players outside of this room also feels that way. They feel that these performances that are taking place out there are ultimately not for the benefit of the cause and um, and they're calling it out. And this is this is what the, why this conversation is taking place. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think any progress is good progress, even if it, in, it at its intention uh, or appearance is looks performative. I just think that just can't be the only thing. So it's the BOF gala and the issue, awesome. It's about, like you said, scratching the surface. And I think that's what's frustrating. But I mean, on one hand, I have a massively dystopian view of what's happening in this industry. But then on the other hand, I'm massively optimistic because you do have people like Kirby and some actual independent voices who are a lot more fearless about really telling the truth where that gets them remains to be seen because I do think that people do get marginalized even if it is just in those micro ways of you were invited here, now you're not. Okay, I was talking fine. to you consistently, now I'm not. Fine. Because fashion, uh, you know, I don't want to get those and that if juju. You, if you were afraid of the if you are afraid of those shifts, then you are not the the face and the voice of advocacy and activism. Like you're simply not. This is not a it's not necessarily a comfortable place. And I think that's that's Part of the problem is that people don't expect their world to be rocked. And that's what happens when change, when real change is called for and when real change is happening, the, things get disrupted. Your world get rocks. You get, un, right, you, you get you're uncomfortable. Right, but you're talking about, but again, again where are we talking about these terms in the realist sense? Like where you talked about a few episodes ago when something becomes popular or fashionable, when a term becomes popular, it becomes so overly used, it loses its meaning. When you talk about activism, yes, it's about really core-shattering, paradigm-shifting change. But now when we talk about activism, particularly as it pertains to brands and people in the industry, we're really just talking about taking a position. So you are almost called an activist. No, no, that's not my definition. That's not your definition, but that is largely the, the, the consensus of what that means. So usually a brand is... 
an activist or a person's activist because they've taken a position on something. So if you've taken a position that includes inclusion is is great, then you are an inclusive brand because you then, I don't know, put some sort of cosmetic points to that, like you include black people on the catwalk or whatever. But actually, when you talk about real activism and real change, it is uncomfortable, it is complicated, it is hard, and it is a bit grimy. Mm. There are mistakes to be made. And all of these things that inherently our industry doesn't really make room or space for. So then when we talk about this (laughs) activism fashion, well, what does that actually look like given that like no one's allowed to make mistakes? No one's actually allowed to like do anything that's core shattering because everything has to be pretty and packaged and convert and be put together and sell. And so what are we even talking about when we talk about activism in fashion? Well, you know what I'm talking about activism? I'm talking about radical hiring practices. That's what I'm talking about in activism. That's that's even the term radical. I'm just impacting like, change. Well, no, 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 no. I'm words? not going to be. I'm not going to be distracted by over overused terms. That's 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 pedestrian. No, 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 no. That's not the conversation. The conversation is the actual change, not overused words and that's blah blah not, blah. But that you know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm but there, it, that is there is some importance there because if we're not even saying the same thing if we're not you if you're not speaking to each other in ways that you understand how are you supposed to move forward like if you're talking about inclusivity in a brand sense in a branded way and I'm talking about inclusion in the way that I mean it to be radical and core shattering and we're having we're using the same words but not having the same conversation that's how the disconnect happens that's how the figureheads or whatever it is that you have issues with, that's where they're talking on their panels about all of this stuff using those words and people think change is happening. Whereas when you talk about it in a different sense for the change you want to see, people think you're talking about the same change that, say, Naomi's talking about, and I know things like that get you annoyed. So actually, I do think the semantics and the wording and the terms, the terminology, I think it matters. I'm not saying it's everything, but again, I think this is a very complicated and layered and nuanced thing. Well, but, and but, so we have to look at all of those things and not be so dismissive about, well, that doesn't matter, this matters, because well, I think that's... Fine, fair, fair, fair enough. And I, 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 don't, I don't want to belittle or uh, dismiss the, the value of, um, of, of proper terminology and everyone speaking the same language in order to move in the same direction to... Um, Perfect change. No, I don't want to. I don't want to diminish. Um, I don't want to diminish that at all. But again, and I thought Kirby was very clear in getting that messaging across. And also, a lot of the commentary and a lot of just the the way in that I that I read surrounding this, everyone seems to agree that the inclusivity issue. It's about hiring and including a diverse representation in your managerial ranks, in all areas of your business. And we don't want numbers from Gucci that shows a certain percentage of Black people working in their company that is working at retail. <laughs> That's not what we're... We're not going to be distracted by those numbers. Oh, but, <laughs> uh, but that is a... Um... Like, we're not going to... Don't give us numbers of, like, people working for Gucci in Nigeria. Nigeria that's literally, you know, like selling, you know, Gucci bags. Like we're not, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how. But so many people, there was, did you, there have been articles about number of brands, including brands like Adidas and like you said, Gucci, where people are examining those numbers. And I'm wondering where the questions about what are those barriers from the shop floor to (laughs) HQ and the executive ranks? What are those barriers? Because again, 
when you talk about blackness specifically, I guess, um, with it as it pertains to inclusion, it's like, okay, so they're fine to sell your shoes and sell your garms on the sales floor, but not good enough to make decisions and be part of the making of the larger brand. Okay, okay. That's not the crux of it, Henrietta. I mean, let's not make this any, this is not mysterious. There's, this is not couched in something else. It's, all, it's, it's very right there in the open. It's very clear. And again, I love what you just said. I love that they're looking at the Adidas and these kind of companies. Yeah, roll out those numbers. I know sometimes it's very difficult to get close to privately held companies' numbers, but like, roll out those numbers. Let's see those stuff. I think that they'll be very, very telling, and I want that kind of transparency. And, you know, obviously, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not silly to think that just because things are exposed, then, oh, then all of a sudden these companies are going to make change. Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that we need to look at probably uh, as importantly is that unity intercommunity to take to 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 make change when it's necessary if we see that the rank and file of 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 of, of Adidas and Nike or whatever the whatever the brands we're dealing with at the time that they're not representative or offensively so that's when we are supposed to collectively take action. Well, if you don't deem us important enough to have you in our in your managerial and your, your ranks and your boardroom and so forth, well, then we're not we are not worthy of procuring and purchasing your things. I think we need to get to that point, and I think maybe something to punctuate this conversation is ultimately shop black because it's about having all the information to make an informed decision if these companies are unwilling to change their practices. It's not so, you know, I, sometimes when this conversation is happening around inclusivity, even inter-community, inter-black community, people are like, why are you just harping on about this inclusivity thing? Why do you keep knocking on these people's door and expecting them to save you and all those sort of things? It's, that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. It's a matter of if you're selling to us and, and you're, you're using our messaging and our imagery and our likeness in order to sell products and bring, and bring billions of dollars into your coffers, and then you're discriminating against us and profiling us in ways that are negative and not advancing to our culture, in fact, raping and pillaging from our culture, if you're doing that and selling these things back um, in turn to us and making us like obsessed about having these things, bringing billions of dollars to your company, that's not going to be okay anymore. That's when we need to make a more informed decision to shop into our community. But we have to have that information first. So look at these companies, expose their numbers, let us know what we're working with, and then as consumers, we can make we can make our choices. Because there are a lot of people on this planet, yes, you know? Yes and no. We spoke Wh- about this with Why Edward. Not? We Why spoke not? about this with Edward because on one hand, yes, it's always about supporting Black-owned businesses. That's always important. Black-owned businesses queer-owned businesses, um, different abilities. I think inclusion and supporting businesses helmed by marginalised or disenfranchised communities are really important. But that's not the only solution. That's like furthering the segregation. I think it is about change and doing the hard work. I don't think that they're... No, I'm not saying that's the only solution. I'm saying that's an alternative one if the work and the change is not being done by those companies. So, um, yes, I, I agree. We can't keep knocking on these companies' door and, and, and be like, oh my God, please change, please change, but we're still buying your product. No, there has to be a point where you stop knocking and you stop buying the product. 
It's as simple as that. It's a, it really as simple um, as that. And then, and then when you see that these companies are not respecting you or not valuing your, your, your dollars, then you go elsewhere and you, I would say preferably, shop black. Well, given that a lot of the change as it pertains to inclusion is consumer facing, I think that's very difficult because <laughs> on a really basic level, anyone outside of the industry probably sees a lot of progress given the catwalks and the ad campaigns and the people on the shop floor. So I think it again, it's just it's too complicated. But no, no, no. I, I don't like when you use terms like it's too complicated. No, I'm saying, it's not that but I'm complicated. saying, no, you say you get informed and you make an informed purchasing decision. But if you are a customer who isn't as invested as we are and as privy to all of this, this information and like down to do all the research, you look at the shop floor, take Adidas for example, or Gucci. Any brand is a good example. You look at the advertising, there's blackness. You look at the shop floor, there's blackness. You look at the catwalks, there's blackness. So you think that all is good. You think these are the people making the decisions. So what is the purchasing decision? Like, it's been made based on those factors. So that's what I'm saying. I think it is a bit more complicated because for the most part, a large part of customers just have other things going on, like the thing about feeding their kids, the thing about the political landscape, the thing about a number of other things. So you are making decisions and purchasing decisions based on uh, surface values, like ad campaigns and the people you see in the stores. So again, that's why I say it's complicated, not because I'm like, it's too complicated to figure out, but I think it's just, we're asking a lot of people. And so it is incumbent on these gatekeepers and the people at the helms of businesses to make the changes because on a consumer level, all the research can't be done on their part. And actually when they're looking at the main touch points, all is good. So it's a it's a lot. Okay. Well, that I mean, that that's that's the view from the consumer-facing perspective. Um, if you'll allow me to punctuate. Um, yes, and all ten people, ten black people in the fashion industry will stop buying brands that don't support us. Yes, <laughs> we'll do that. Well, if you allow me to punctuate this discussion with the not with my facetious note, <laughs> with a compelling quote <laughs> that I uh, that I used from um, from. Um, uh, Kibwe, Kibwe, who we have interviewed on this podcast, and uh, and this is this is how my 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 essay ended. Okay, let's wake up and initiate the times up analogous movement that this industry desperately needs in regard to anti blackness. Instead of pacifying ourselves with panel discussions, tokenism, and stats quali- quantifying upticks in castings of models of color. Let's quit pretending, roll up our sleeves, and do the real work of structuring a culture of equity, and let's do it expeditiously. Fashion's diversity and inclusion efforts have, by and large, been self-congratulatory performances, doing little to address the rampant race-based employment discrimination occurring in the design and executive sectors of the field. In those spaces regarding race discrimination, time is far from up. That's my, I echo the same message. Thank you very much for that um, insight, Kibwe. I echo this very same message. That's where we are. And I, I think this is a radical position. Okay. And wow. on that note, we will talk to you the next time. Bye. Bye.
for something.